0: Thank you. You may be seated. I wonder if you have heard the old story about the young man who was walking along the beach out in California. He um, had his surfboard, and he was clearly a a surfer kind of guy, and he's walking along the beach there, and he suddenly spots a bottle which had recently washed up on the beach there. It was obvious that it had been tossed around for a long time, and so the surfer guy walks over and he picks up the bottle and he notices that the cork is still intact. So being curious as to what might be inside, he manages to get the cork out and he out pops of course a genie. <laughs> After expressing profound appreciation at having been let out of the bottle, the genie grants his benefactor the classic one wish, of course. And he says, "You have one wish and Anything you want will be yours. Well, being an avid surfer, it doesn't take the young man long to say, look, I've always wanted to surf Hawaii, but I get seasick on ships and I'm afraid to fly. So what my one wish is, is that you would build me a bridge to Hawaii. Well, the genie thinks a moment and then he replies, do you really know what you're asking for? Do you know how long the bridge would have to be to go to Hawaii from here? I mean, think of the enormous engineering challenges for such an undertaking. The supports required to reach the bottom of the Pacific would be incredible. The concrete, the steel that it would take. It would nearly exhaust all our natural resources to build such a bridge. And the maintenance of that bridge would be nearly impossible. Nope. The genie says, no, I think that you need to make another wish. So the man, kind of taken back by that... Thinks a little bit, and then and then it hits him, and he says, "You know, I, I have relationship issues." And he says, um, "I've actually been married and divorced four times." And he said, "My wives, every one of them, always say that I just don't care, and that I'm insensitive. So I wish that I could understand women. That's my wish." I wish I could know how they feel inside and what they're thinking when they give me the silent treatment and know why they're crying and know what they really want when they say nothing at all and and know how to make them truly happy. I really want to understand women and how they think. After a long sigh, the genie responds, would you like that bridge to be two lanes or four lanes? (laughs) Well, what would you wish if you had one wish that could actually come true. I don't mean a genie in a bottle. I'm talking about what if you had an encounter with the living God of the universe who asked you to make one wish and whatever you desire, He would do for you. We actually have in our study today that actual occurrence. We'll find out a little bit while, in a little while who it was and what he asked for. But I invite you to turn to that interesting Old Testament book of wisdom called Proverbs this morning. We're laying the groundwork for a brand new fall sermon series. By design, this sermon series is going to be made up of individual messages that kind of stand alone. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed in reading Proverbs that it doesn't have too many passages that are extensive, you know. Often, when we start a book study, for example, we begin at the beginning of the book, we work our way through that book, and it all kind of has, um, you know, a, a common theme, and it, and it works together. And we go from one passage to the next, and there's extensive connection in the book. Proverbs is not really like that. Proverbs, and by the way, a proverb is a, a kind of a, by by definition, a rather short, um, somewhat pithy saying of wisdom. You know, we might say, you know, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's sort of a proverb. There it is, it stands alone, and you kind of have to think about it a little bit, and it's a little bit catchy. Now, when we open our Bibles to the wisdom literature, and by the way, the wisdom books of our Old Testament are Job and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Some people think parts of Psalms of the psalm psalms are part of wisdom literature um, but we categorize it in the poetical uh, category but when we open our bibles to the book of proverbs we are encountering a book that was specifically written by wise people to give wisdom to the reader And so this fall, we're going to just look at a number of themes. There are so many different topics and themes that are touched upon. Now, what I thought would be helpful for us is, is just to lay a foundation to begin with is Why will this study be valuable to us? So if you have your notes nearby, you might track along with us as we just lay a groundwork for an understanding so that we're all together with this thing. Here's why a study in Proverbs will be so valuable. And the first thing we want to recognize is that these Proverbs, these pithy statements of wisdom that are intended to be read in short spurts and then pondered while you mow your lawn or wash the dishes, these wisdom statements you're going to find that they are very practical and down to earth. There's not a lot of of theory in Proverbs. There's some theology. The theme of Proverbs is God and the wisdom of God. I believe that the personification of wisdom in Proverbs is the second member of the Godhead, Jesus Christ himself. And some parts of Proverbs are going to talk in first. Wisdom will talk in first person. But this book of wisdom is very practical. I think you're going to find it very helpful just for everyday living. Relationships at work, relationships in the home, in the neighborhood, in our church, things that you're dealing with. It's just very, very practical. Secondly, I want you to know that these wisdom proverbs teach discernment and discretion. They teach discernment and discretion for wise decision-making by all people from all walks of life. So no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter what your life circumstances are, these wisdom statements apply to you. It's interesting, isn't it, how the Word of God works. This morning, six hours ahead of us, our beloved brothers Johanny, Love, and, and Elamia Kapesi were up early. They were out ministering. They were preaching. They were teaching. They were encouraging the churches in Malawi, Africa. It would have been just fine for them to open to Proverbs and to teach Proverbs, even if they were out three hours' drive out a dirt road in a remote village in the farthest reaches of remote Malawi, where people live in mud huts and have nothing. They could have opened their Bibles and they could have taught the book of Proverbs and it would have applied absolutely relevantly to their lives there just as much as it will be relevant to us here. It is amazing how God's wisdom is universally applicable to all of us. So not only is it very practical having to do with everyday living, but it will teach us discernment and we need discernment. We live in such a changing world here. We live in a complicated world. And we need to have discernment. We need to know how to think. Thirdly, I want you to know that as we encounter these Proverbs and these messages from the book of Proverbs, you're going to find that the Proverbs are diagnostic and they teach us who we are and they help us to overcome faulty thinking. How many of you think you have a problem with faulty thinking? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I'm raising both of mine. I really need all the help I can get to think biblically. Do you? I mean, it is so easy to convince ourselves of things that are not true. It is so easily to be deceived by the world around us. We are so easily pressed into the mold of the world around us. And we want to correct faulty thinking. We want to raise young people and boys and girls who know how to overcome faulty lines of logic. And we want to think biblically with discernment. And we want to be people who are known to be wise with the wisdom that is from above. And that is God's wisdom. You're going to find out in the diagnostic way that there are multiple kinds of characters represented in Proverbs. Now there are, for example, lazy people in Proverbs. There are workaholics. There are old gray-headed people. There are kings. Uh, There are servants. There's all kinds of different personalities represented and spoken about and spoken to. But you're going to find at the diagnostic level that when you read Proverbs, you're going, to, you're going to be challenged to figure out if you fall into one of four character trait areas of specific kinds of people. Now, the first of those kinds of people that you'll encounter are um, the simple ones. The simple ones. Uh, notice in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22 is where we find this. How long, O oh, simple ones, will you love being simple? And so that is actually a person that is represented as somebody who is naive. They tend to be gullible. Um, They're the kind of person that kind of doesn't know that they don't know. And as a result, they believe everything. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15, it says there that the simple one believes everything. You know, this person isn't so much against learning. They just... They don't realize the value of learning. They're the kind of kid who will disrupt the classroom. They're the kind of kid who would rather fold up a piece of paper into a triangle football and sit there and flick it across the desk and play football instead of learn their multiplication tables because they believe somehow in their brain that knowing how to fold up a piece of paper into a triangle football and play football is more important than your multiplication table. And nothing could be further from the truth. See, they can't even define reality. It's not like they woke up in the morning and decided to be dumb. They're just simple. They just are kind of out there floating around. And, and if that person would wake up and apply themselves to the study of Proverbs, they can actually stop being a simple person and they can become a wise person. A second kind of person that we'll encounter is the scoffer. The scoffer. Now, the scoffer, he's a more caustic, he's more arrogant. He is wise in his own eyes, and this person, it's not that they don't understand or believe what they're hearing, they don't care. They're a very disruptive person, in fact, they're the kind of person who will will mock other people. Your Bible might even use the word mocker for the scoffer. Somebody who, who belittles people who are serious about their learning, people who are trying to keep the rules, people who are trying to obey their teachers, a mocker will be very hard, a scoffer will be very hard on that person. They might even beat them up out in the playground for no other reason other than that they make good grades. I just don't like you. You're a good kid. I'll beat you up. They're the kind of person that despises teachers, and they disrupt the classroom on purpose, on purpose, to try to get sent to the principal's office, to mouth off to the principal. And they're just, they just don't care. They're hard hearted. They're down on anything that is orderly and good. And he refuses to learn. In fact, let your eyes go over. Turn to chapter 9 and pick it up at verse 6. You'll see these people named here in chapter 9 and verse 6. Where he reminds them, leave your simple ways. Proverbs 9, 6. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So the simple one is challenged to leave their simple ways. And they're to do that by walking in insight. Walking in wisdom. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abused. See, they'll, they'll beat you up. They'll do mean things. When I was in sixth grade, I had a teacher whose name was Miss Petrowskis, where I lived in the suburbs of South Chicago, there was a large community of post-World War II Poles, Polish people from Poland came and settled in our community. Many of them were uh, part of the um, cattle yards and, and butchers and slaughterhouses of Joliet, Illinois, over just a little ways from us. And so even when I was um, like 10, 11 years old in the early 70s and late 60s and would collect for my paper route, some of the old people who would come to the door were still speaking Polish. And my teacher was kind of one of those, an older Polish person, very rigid, uh, very concerned about an orderly classroom. In fact, I remember when she was teaching, if your desk was a little bit crooked, she would stop in the middle of her sentence and say, fan. Turn your desk just a little bit. Yeah, over, one more inch. No, forward, just a little bit. Right there, good. And it's like, okay, okay. For, you know that she drilled us. She wanted us to learn. And so students made fun of her. The scoffers and the mockers were so hard on Miss Petrowski's. Adding to her issues was that she looked like she ran into a brick wall one day when her face was soft. And so we called her Mrs. Bulldog. And Miss um, Bulldog... You know, the scoffers, the mockers, they hated her because she would slap that pointer down on the desk. She would make you learn your multiplication. One day, I stood on the sidewalk and I watched her car hooked up behind a tow truck going down California Street there in Posen, Illinois. And I heard what happened. what happened was the scoffers, the mockers, they put sugar in her gas tank. They hated her. They didn't know why they hated her. They were just mockers, scoffers. That's that kind of person. Uh, But even worse than that is number three, the fool. When we study Proverbs, we're actually going to encounter that there are three different kinds of fools in Proverbs, interestingly enough, remember a few weeks ago when we were on the, the subject of illustrating a, a spiritual leader and his anger, and we talked about David and Nabal and Abigail, I had the readers up here. Do you remember that I commented that Nabal, the, the Abigail's wicked husband's name Nabal, that that is a Hebrew word that means fool? And in fact, we're going to see that in Proverbs, that one of the words translated from Hebrew in Proverbs into fool is Nabal. It's interesting There are at least three different Hebrew words that are translated into fools. so there's different kinds of fools represented in proverbs. The fool absolutely despises wisdom and instruction. And in fact, let's go back to chapter 1. While we're in chapter 9, let's just read a minute here, and let's look at number 4. That's the wise man, before we turn back to chapter 1. Notice number 4. Number 3 is the fool. Number 4, the wise man, but he listens and learns. Let's go back, look at chapter 9, where you probably still are. Back up at verse... Let's just start at verse 6 again. Leave your simple ways and live. So simpleton, you can improve yourself. You can become a wise person. But remember, whoever corrects a scoffer is going to get himself abuse. And whoever reproves a wicked man incurs injury, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. He'll hate you for it. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. You see, a wise man receives instruction, a fool hates instruction. In fact, Psalm 14.1 reminds us that the fool has even said in his heart, what? There is no God. So we have entire categories of people in our culture that the Bible calls a certain kind of fool. But a wise man will receive instruction. A wise man has ears to hear. A scoffer will hold back. A mocker and a fool does not receive. By the way, how do you receive instruction? When you are corrected by someone, does it make you angry or upset? I was thinking about the early years of preaching at C.W. Shipley School. And uh, I was just learning how to preach. I still am. You've been a very patient audience. And uh, that was about 23 years ago. I'd been a youth pastor for 13 years. And I was trying to learn how to preach. And the Lord was really gracious to give lots of empty chairs in the cafeteria and only about 25, 30 people to sit in the chairs. And they were just glad to have a warm body propped up with a broomstick up front and call them pastor at that time. And so the Lord was developing me and growing me. And so was my wife, by the way. Um, Janny Baby would sit in the back, or after she played the piano, she would sit down and have her bulletin, and she would take her pen and she would write all of the mistakes that I made while I was preaching. <laughs> And all of the grammatical errors that I would make or all of the repetitious words that I shouldn't have, shouldn't say like such as it were, you know, how a speaker will get going on something and such as it were, such as it were. Why are you saying such as it were today? I don't know, but I sang it seven times. She'll say, you said it seven times. I didn't know I said it even. And so she would write those all down and we would get in the car after we would shut down the the gym and and we'd go home we'd no sooner get out on 340 and heading home and i'm thinking that went pretty well and she'd whip out her bulletin (laughs) and she would start telling me it was a pretty good message but and then she would tell me and you know on the inside i just didn't like that and sometimes i was pretty snippy with her Said, you know can you just put that thing away for a while here i'm not quite really ready for that you know after a few weeks though or a time it dawned on me there is no one that wants P V to better be a better preacher than Janet, baby. There is no one who wants God to use the Word of God through the preaching of the Word of God more than Janet. There is no one that cares more about the development and growth of this congregation than Janet. And what a mocker I would be. What a fool to not receive instruction. And I read, I read the Proverbs regularly and I I thought of that. A wise man will readily receive instruction. I want to be a wise man. Why would it offend me if somebody is correcting the things that I need corrected in? And man, I was terrible, still am, with personal problems. And that began a time of of trying to learn things that I didn't learn because I was a simple one back in eighth grade in English class. And I was one flicking the three-corner football. Uh, How do you receive instruction? I want to tell you something. If people correct you and and people instruct you and it makes you mad, you need to question whether you're a wise person, because a wise person will readily receive instruction. Well, we're working down a list here, and we need to speed it up just a little bit, but um, we're going to find that these Proverbs are really valuable because they are down-to-earth and, practi- and practical. Turn back to chapter 1. Not only are they down-to-earth and practical, but, but they teach us discernment and give us discretion. In fact, um, I think I forgot to read this to you. What, let your eyes look down at chapter 1. Under letter B, uh, they teach discernment and distric- discretion. It even tells us in the opening verses what these proverbs will do for us. Verses one through seven, let me read them quickly. The proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, we'll note that in a minute. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness and in justice and in equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Prudence, by the way, is the ability to make the right choices out of all the choices I have to make. I will make the prudent choice. I am making the best of the best choices. It will give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands to obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom. And instruction, just stop there. You can see right there that they teach discernment and give us understanding. They're diagnostic. They're going to let us know whether we're a simple person, a scoffer, a fool, or a wise man. Fourthly, I want you to see that as a result of studying the wisdom literature here and these Proverbs, we will receive a blessing. They they will result in a blessed life. Let your eyes go to chapter 2. And let's just read a few verses here. Notice what he says. Often it is addressed to His Son. It's in the masculine context. Chapter 2, verse 1. My Son... If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, and if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. And then, look at here's the blessing. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who for, forsake the paths of, of uprightness. And walk in the ways of darkness. We'll just stop there. Notice the blessing. It will keep you from all of that. And it will give you the ability to make right choices which leads to blessing. I want to warn you though, this doesn't happen automatically. Most of us think that we are more wise than we really are. Most of us think that this is going to be a great sermon series for that guy right over there. He's so simple, and that guy, he's a scoffer, and that guy, he's a fool. Me, I'm I'm threshold wise, man. I want to tell you that Proverbs is addressed even to those who are already wise. It says, even if you have understanding, it said back in chapter 1, he said um, in verse 6, in verse 5 of chapter 1, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands to obtain guidance. So even if you are a very understanding person, even if you are already in the category of a biblically wise person, you are to pay attention to these so that you continue in the way of understanding because it is possible to be wise and to turn into a fool, as we will see in a few minutes. So I'm warning you, first of all, it takes intentional and intense commitment to grow in wisdom. It doesn't happen automatically. Most of us are not nearly as wise as we think we are. And it takes intent and and effort. In fact, we just read chapter 2, the first few verses. I want you to look back there and I want you to see the if-then clause. Okay, so we're looking at chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. My son, if you receive my words. Now I'm going to add if in the grammatical structure. It's, It's there. It's continued over from the first if. If you receive my words, and if you treasure up my commandments, and if you make your ear attentive to wisdom, and if you incline your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight, verse 3, and if you raise your voice for understanding, and if you seek it like silver, and if you search for it for hidden as for hidden treasure, here it is, verse 5, then... Then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and then you will find the knowledge of God. And so we have a word picture here, don't we? We have a picture of this old mountain man with a big old floppy hat and a great big white beard, and he's got a mule on a rope, and he's up on the side of a mountain, and he's walking, and we run into him, and we see that his pack has pick and shovel sticking out of it, and an old rifle, and his old pack there, and he stinks to high heavens, and the flies are buzzing around, and we say, howdy, partner, and he says, howdy. I said, what are you doing up here? He says, I'm searching for hidden treasure well, how long you been searching for his hidden treasure? I've been searching for gold and silver in these here hills for 43 years. Well, have you ever found any? Well, once in a while, I find some back in 06. I had a real good year and I, I hit a nice little vein there and it was good. He said, so what you have, you have the picture of the, the writer here, he portrays that if you want this kind of wisdom, you want this kind of knowledge, you want to know the mind of God, you want to have discretion. It doesn't happen automatically. I'm warning you, you have to seek it. You have to search for it as for hidden treasure. And what does he do? He takes that grub axe out every day and he digs and he roots around and he gets a pan full of gravel and he rinses it in the stream bed. And he's looking for a little bit of color, like a little flake of oatmeal in there. It looks gold. And he looks down. Oh man, I'm hitting it big here. Found me a nugget doesn't happen every day but some days it does and I'm going to keep mining I'm going to keep digging I'm going to keep searching for it and I'm going to tell you if you drift along the way of the world you will never be this wise man you have to work hard at it and mine for it Secondly, I want you to know that there is a necessary and specific focus in Proverbs on the fear of the Lord. I've listed just a handful of about a dozen references in Proverbs about the fear of the Lord. We already read it in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I remember a verse that our youth staff memorized at a camp out that we had years ago. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is just the beginning of wisdom. So the point is, if you don't understand the fear of the Lord, and we're going to have to deal with that and understand it in this context, the fear of the Lord is a necessary element. What does that mean? It means you have to come in with humility underneath the authority of Almighty God with an awe And a a surrender and a recognition that He is God and I am not. And He is all-knowing and I am no-knowing. I know nothing. I'm a child. And I'm going to learn from the mind of God through the writers of the text of Scripture. That idea of the fear of God, I believe, occurs 11 times in the book of Proverbs. Another reason, and we must scoot along here, is uh, that that the Proverbs are so valuable, is the author himself. Notice in chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. David was the king of Israel. He had many sons by several wives. And Solomon was the king, the son, who was going to become king after him. And one of the things you need to understand about Solomon is that we're going to see here in a minute is that he is the wisest man who ever lived. I'm going to show you why we can say that with authority from Scripture. He was the wisest man that ever lived. But I want you also to know we're going to see just a touch this morning. And you have to read more extensively. He also became one of the biggest fools that ever lived. He is such an interesting character. He's one of the most colorful, fascinating characters in all of the Bible. Solomon, the son of David and Bathsheba, is. In fact, I think it's so valuable for us to understand who the author is, that that's the second section of our message today. What makes this book so readable, and why is it so important for us to do this study? It's so readable, you're going to receive it well, because it is, it is so well done because of the very character of the author. To do this, we need to turn back to the historical books. And so go with me to 1 Kings, would you please? 1 Kings, um, and we're going to begin in chapter 2. 1 Kings now is the very end of the old man David. This is David who killed Goliath. David who slept with Bathsheba. David who um, was a mighty man after God's own heart. Just what an interesting character he is. And he is now an old, old man. And even tells us at the beginning of chapter 2 of 1 Kings that when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and keeping His statutes, His commandments, His rules, and His testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do, and wherever you turn that the lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me saying if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before in faithfulness before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul you shall not lack a man on the throne of israel in other words david had been promised that out of his lineage the throne of israel would be filled with a king ultimately king jesus comes from the lineage of david but Solomon was the next in line. I would encourage you to read 1 Kings chapter 1 through 11 at least. It is fascinating. You're going to find right away in chapter 1 that David had another son who tried to become king and they foiled that. Solomon indeed becomes the king. But what I want you to know about Solomon is not only is he David's son, not only is he the next king in Israel, but David was a son, Solomon was a son who had the favor of his father David. We love David. Solomon is a fascinating character and you need to know that Solomon received the favor and blessing of his father David. It's very difficult to be successful without the blessing of a parent. Do you know that? Parents, we need to bless our children. We need to encourage them with encouraging words. Some, Some of you, even as adults, you scurry about seeking the blessing of someone because you never received the blessing of your parents. Maybe part of the reason is because you were a scoffer or a fool when you were young. Maybe you're still a scoffer or a fool. We can turn to our Heavenly Father and receive the blessing of Him. Solomon received, had the favor of his father. I want you to know that he had the blessing of God. This is chapter 3, and this is what relates to our opening story about the genie in a bottle and the one wish. Believe it or not, Solomon actually had that happen in his life. Almighty God appears to Solomon in a dream... This dream is a little bit unusual recorded in Scripture for us in 1 Kings chapter 3 because there's two-way conversation. Usually in a dream, we hear what God says. In this one, they had a conversation. Let's read a little bit of it. I want you to understand this is why this reader is so valuable. This study is so valuable. And this author is so readable because of this occurrence in his life. We're in chapter 3. We pick it up with verse three. Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. That, by the way, is a negative. He did not fully remove the pagan worship sites. And in fact, it opened the door to compromise later in his life. And it was a significant part of his undoing. But at this point, he's young, he's about 20 years old, he's going to reference himself as a child, he's about 20 years old, he is just being appointed king, his father David is dying, or dead, Has is dead at this time. And the king went to Gibeon, verse 4, to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, here it is, ask what I shall give you. Now, stop for just a minute and imagine what you would say. Hey, Jank, I'll give you whatever you want. What do you want? There's Solomon. Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, verse 6, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept him... F- You have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child, 20 years old. I do not know how to go out or to come in. I don't even know how to work the doorknobs in the palace. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for for multitude. The Israelites were an important nation. He knew that in the mind of God, and they were by this time growing strong under David's leadership into the millions of people. Give your servant, therefore, here it is. You have one wish. Here's my wish. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. Well, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this and God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. See, Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived, except for Jesus. Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived. No one before him and no one after him, God said, would ever be granted the wisdom. In Solomon's lifetime, it says in 1 Kings, that he wrote 3,000 proverbs and 1,000 songs. You ever try writing a proverb? It's kind of hard to do. Get yourself a pen and a blank piece of paper and sit down and try to write a proverb. It'll end up coming out something like Confucius say. He's like, your voice will even change when you read it to yourself, you know? He who stand out in cold rain get mighty wet that's it, And you, you think to yourself, that's stupid. <laughs> of course. You try it sometimes. That's about what will happen. Proverbs are hard to write. And then you realize he wrote 3,000 of them. And not only did he write 3,000 of them, but this is the wisest man that ever lived. And 855 of them are recorded in this book for us. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So are you a simple one, a scoffer, mocker, or a fool that you're not going to receive it? Or are you a wise man and you're going to say, man, bring it on. Because I need all of the discernment and the discretion, the prudence that I can get in my life. In fact, for some of us, our lives, when you look back, you're leaving a wake of nothing but chaos. When you look back, you, you, you leave a wake of bad decision making, bad relationships, bad judgments, all kinds of things. It's time to end that. It's time to embrace the wisdom of God. The wisest man who ever lived wrote these down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for our instruction. Not only are they readable because he was a man who had the favor of his son, he had the blessing of God, he had the wisdom of God. And I'm not going to read the next section, we've got to wrap up here. You're getting the point, I think. We're laying a foundation for our next few weeks study. The next section in chapter 3, or is it 4? Chapter 3, the next section is it's a really familiar story. Let me just remind you of it. It's the story where the two women, they were of the red light district, and they were staying in some kind of a bunkhouse, they each had babies. They were brand new babies, and during the night, one of the mothers, one of the brand new mothers rolled over on her baby and suffocated it. She realized what she did in the night, and she went over and she swapped that dead baby out with the living baby of her friend across the room. When her friend woke up the next morning and looked down at the dead baby, she She was startled, of course, and she looks at it, and this is all in chapter 3. She looks at the baby and she recognizes something. She says, this is not my baby. I I know, this is not my baby. The mother knew. The other woman said, it is is your baby. And they started to squabble, and she said, that's my baby right there. The living baby that she had had stolen from her. That's my baby. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. How are we going to solve this problem? They made their way into the court. They were finally taken to Solomon. This is the illustration that God gives us to demonstrate the incredible wisdom of Solomon. So the two women come in, they got a dead baby, they got a live baby. The woman says, this is my baby, this live baby, that dead baby is not my baby. And they're arguing right in front of the king. The king Solomon says, give me my sword. He reaches over and takes the sword, bring the living baby to me. We'll whack it in half, give you each. The one lady whose baby had died and who was lying and stole the baby says, yes, that's a great idea. She walked right into it. Do it! Split the baby in half! That'll settle it! The, the mother, of course, of the baby, she immediately wailed and cried out and said, No! Give the baby to her! Spare the baby's life! Solomon immediately says, Take that baby and give it to her the mother who wanted to give it away. He knew immediately who the mother was. And do you know that everybody around talked about that? And the wisdom of Solomon began to grow with great renown. In fact, look at verse 28. At the end of this story, it says, and all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered about the babies. And they stood, this is 328. And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. What a guy. He was an amazing guy. So he had the awe of the people, and then he had the respect of the whole world. And you can read the, the verses there. It's fascinating stuff. You need to read the first half of this book. You'll, be, you'll have a hard time putting it down. The Queen of Sheba comes. Queen of Sheba comes. All these people. But you know, in the middle of all this, as Solomon in all of his wisdom grows, and he, he likely wrote these Proverbs in the strong years of his life, the first 20 years of his kingdom, Later he becomes, he becomes cynical and jaundiced and he becomes distracted. In fact, let's read about it in chapter 11. Let's just jump forward because it's unimaginable how the story actually ends. First Kings chapter 11. Let me just read a few verses. We'll fill in these blanks, make application, and we'll be on our way. Look at this. First Kings chapter 11 verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn your heart, turn away your heart after their gods, little g. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princes. You see, the way this happened was Solomon actually expanded the kingdom and the whole world basically bowed down to Solomon and he made peace treaties with surrounding nations, many of whom he shouldn't have dealt with. And what he would do, like the king of Egypt, for example, what he did then was he, as they signed these treaties and as they negotiated trade deals the king would either give him one of his wives or one of his daughters a princess to be a wife for Solomon to kind of seal the deal so before okay so I'm going to leave this girl here she'll be your wife and he had so much dealings that he ended up with 700 wives he wasn't happy with all that so he added to the number 300 concubines it's likely that that's where the the story and of the prostitutes was from the dead baby and so forth And notice what it says. And his wives turned away his heart. The end of verse 3. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, little g. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. These are despicable, false religious systems that also, by the way, included the slaughter of little babies. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Look, at, Let me read that again. The wisest man in the world. Listen. So he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father has done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives, who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And verse 9, And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and he had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. I want you to see under Roman numeral 3 in our notes that what makes this an unimaginable ending is, the, is number one, that he disregarded the word of God. If you take time to look up under the law of Moses, he was instructed. Moses even gave instruction way back in Deuteronomy that when you enter the land and you have a king, here's what his profile is to look like. And he's not to do these things. And one of the things he was not to do was to marry foreign wives. I'll tell you something else in that passage that he wasn't supposed to do. He wasn't supposed to gather huge stables filled with horses. Solomon, in his wealth... Had, was a huge, was hugely interested in horses. And he had tens of thousands of horses. And he bred horses, and they went all around the world with his horses. He was sought after for his horses. And in, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses wrote that the king of Israel is not to collect horses. And Solomon did all of these things that were written in the Word of God, and he just blew it off. He disregarded the Word of God. He disobeyed the warnings of God. He distorted his view of wealth that God had given him. So he disregards the word of God. He disobeys the warnings of God. You can read about them. He distorts his view of wealth. He begins becoming driven materially and trying to find his joy and happiness in things and in money. He becomes totally disillusioned, totally caustic to where he says all is vanity. Nothing's worth living for. The wisest man in the world melts down and implodes. You can read about it in Ecclesiastes. He displaced God with women. We just read about that. You know what Solomon would say to us here today? I'm pretty sure I figured out what Solomon's testimony would be. If I could get old Solomon to come up here today, he would say, people, look at me right now. I want to tell you something. The blessing of God is not something with which to tamper. The blessing of God is not something with which to tamper, and he, he disregarded the word and blessing of God, and it cost him his life, it cost him his kingdom, cost him his reputation. That's who wrote this book we're going to study. Number one, under conclusion, the blessing of God is nothing with which to tamper or take for granted. Number two, I find it encouraging today, even as we've just touched on the Proverbs, That it is possible, remember we had verses that told the simple one, to do away with their simple ways and to grow in wisdom. Number two, it is possible to grow in wisdom and discernment. I find that very encouraging. I want to grow in wisdom. How about you? Thirdly, from Solomon's testimony, he's like exhibit A. It is possible to be a wise man and end up being a fool. Isn't that interesting? It is possible to be the wisest man who ever lived and the greatest fool who ever lived, all in one. Go figure. Proverbs will help us avoid being that kind of person. Finally, the wisdom of God is the key to blessing. You need to know that, don't you? The wisdom of God is the key to blessing. There's worldly wisdom, and there's God's mind and heart and blessing. Are you ready for this? Are you ready to dig? Are you ready to to really do this? Remember, it's not going to happen easily. We have to seek it like for hidden treasure. It takes work. It has to be on our mind. We have to dig. So you have to ask yourself, do I know Christ? Who Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 is the wisdom of God. That's where it starts. It starts in your relationship with Christ. Is he in first place in your life? Do you know Christ, the wisdom of God? Because until you know Christ, you'll not know the fear of God. If you don't know the fear of God, you'll never have the knowledge of God. If you don't have the knowledge of God, you'll never have the mind or wisdom of God. Are you willing to read and ponder? Remember Proverbs of the day. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Almost every month has 30 or 31 days. I've said this 100 times in the last 23 years. Today's the ninth day of September. You read Proverbs chapter nine. I'm getting ready to ask you a question. You start thinking. Tomorrow's Proverbs chapter 10. You're going to read Proverbs chapter 10 tomorrow. If you miss chapter nine, don't worry about it. Read 10. If you have time, read nine. On the 17th day of September, you read Proverbs chapter 17. You got my drift? How many of you are ready to stick your hand up in the air and say, Pastor Van, I will attempt to do this on a regular ongoing basis the rest of my life. Better not to make a vow than to vow not to keep it. I put you on the spot. Are you ready for this? Are you ready to make it your goal to just read it, ponder it, think it, live it? Are you really willing to tell yourself the truth and change? Because that's where we have to go with this. We have to be willing to look in the mirror and tell ourselves the truth about who we are, how we're living, how we think, and whether or not we walk in wisdom. And if not, we have to be willing to change. And change only occurs if we change. You can't change if you don't change. That's a really profound proverb right there. (laughs) But it's true, isn't it? You can talk about change... And you can think about change. And you can read about change. And you can write a song about change. But you ain't going to change until you change. That's all there is to it. Will you stand with me and bow your head before the Lord? Father, we need Your help. We want to be wise godly, God-fearing, Christ-centered people. And we need discernment, and we need discretion. And we want to be prudent, making the best of the best decisions. And our world presses in around us, and it is so confusing. And we have so many weird circumstances in our lives. Would you help us, Lord, to allow this study to do its diagnostic work on us? And if we're simple, we'll become wise. If we're scoffers, we'll repent. If we're fools, we'll get saved. We'll be a wise people. That we would know Christ, the wisdom of God, first and foremost. And that You would bless us from this study and for walking in wisdom. We ask, Lord, that You would help us in this way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.